Hey gang, welcome to another exciting episode of the Street Photography Show podcast. I am your host, Mark Rossi, and tonight I'm going to be speaking with Magnus Gorison. Magnus grew up in the south of Sweden on the countryside. He went to acting school and filmmaking school and then continued with film and literature studies at the local university. Magnus is an actor and a photographer, and he likes classical theater and timeless photography. As a street photographer, he prefers black and white with a focus on human interactions, gestures, and more specifically, the human condition. He considers the street scene and the theater stage to be one and the same. Welcome to the show, Magnus Gorison from Linderod, Sweden. How are you, Magnus? Thank you. I'm 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 good. It's uh, pitch black, but I'm 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 feeling optimistic. Good. I'm glad you're feeling optimistic. Well, listen. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight on the Street Photography Show podcast. It's an honor to have you. Thank you. I'm I'm really glad to 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 be here. And and you're in in Toronto, right? That's correct. Yeah. I, I I've actually uh, been to Toronto in '98 with my family. We we went from New York and and uh, came up through Niagara Falls, I think, and then and up to Toronto for two nights. Oh, nice, nice. What'd you think? I loved it. I, I it was just two days. I, I would love to stay for more to to see more of Canada. It's changed quite a bit, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's still hopping. It's probably hopping more now than then, that's for sure. But again, thanks for coming on the show, and I'm looking forward to our discussion here tonight. So, Magnus, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you currently living? What's your background in photography? How'd you get into street photography? All that good stuff. For the longest of time, I lived in Malmö, which is the larger city in the south of Sweden. And I'm, I'm a creative person, so I started acting when I was... 13 and I and I went to film school when I was 20 and and really important part of my life is to do creative things and and, and Malmö was a great place f- for that and and I, I work at the university in in Lund but it wasn't until 2016 when when uh, my boss at the university asked me uh, if I wanted to take portraits of the staff for a you know billboard in the hall with 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 all the staffs uh, portraits and I I, uh, immediately said yes I'll do it before even had the chance to think about if I I could do it Uh, after that I thought but how do I take a portrait I I don't know how to photograph I know how to to film and make short films and and so on but I I can't take a good portrait so I I started to investigate uh, how to take the best portrait of of, uh, you know corporate staff portraits And, and I asked the photographer in Stockholm watched a lot of YouTube to be able to do those portrait sessions there were it's like 75 people that i had to take a portrait of when i was investigating portrait photography i stumbled upon street photography and suddenly street photography was all i think the portrait thing was fine i I took those pictures but I, i i continued to watch those street photography videos and i discovered henri cartier bresson vivian mayer i think those two were the first really struck me you know black and white testaments of, of life and uh, the the hum, human condition and and, and it, it echoed something in me that something i've done all my life is to watch people and and to see what are people up to why are they doing things like this and what are people doing when they don't think anyone is watching them it seemed illegal to be able to be allowed to watch life and and record life so, so i, I was really 
bitten by the street photography. And for the money I got from the portrait sessions, I, I went out and bought a Nikon D800 to be able to try out street photography for, for myself. So that, that's the beginning. Are you still using the Nikon D800? No, I, I I sold it and bought. I've bought so many cameras, and I shoot both film and digital. But the first one was a Nikon D800, and then I sold that to buy a Fuji XT2. Then I sold that one to buy my current digital camera, and that's a Sony A7R4, and that's the one I'm, I'm using now, and I'm totally in love with it. So I, I have that, and I have a small compact Sony RX100. Mark II, and then I have my analog cameras. What do you use for film? My first camera is the Leica R4 uh, with a Summicron uh, 50. Mm, nice. Yeah, and it's beautiful. And then I have Nikon FE2 and a Nikon F800 one, maybe? It's called something else in the States, I think. I think it's 801 or 801. I, I can't remember, but I, I, I know it's, it's a plastic body with a flared out grip. Yeah, it, re- it reminds me of the uh, uh, D800. So I, I, I actually love it because it's so chunky. Yeah, you mentioned FE2s. I actually have two FE2s. I have a silver and a black one. It's a beautiful, beautiful camera. My father uh, had the Nikon FE2, and then he uh, loaned me his copy. So I still have his camera, but he's not using it. So I'm, I'm I'm gonna keep using it. Well, they're great cameras. I have two of them, so I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. In fact, the FE2, uh, the silver one that I have, is actually the first camera that I ever owned, like the first real serious camera. But my very first camera was the Konica C35, which is a little pocket-sized rangefinder, which is phenomenally sharp. That lens is phenomenally sharp. With your transition from the D800 to what you're shooting with now, the Sony, what would you say are the main advantages of shooting with the Sony and perhaps what are some disadvantages, if any? The Nikon D800 is is a really good camera. It's a 36 megapixel beast. Can, you can see that it's it's, uh, it's aged. You you, ha- you don't have that digital, uh, you know, viewfinder and, and uh, uh, there's a lot of things that camera don't have, but it's a good camera to start with and when I started I was really a beginner I got the bug that I wanted to take photographs but I didn't know anything about composition to have a clear subject to 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 check your to get your vision into a working image I, I, I it was all new to me maybe that camera was a good camera for a beginner and now I think maybe I'm more advanced and have a clear view of, of what I want to do and the Sony camera can do anything it can help me with whatever, but I use it simplified because I know what I want to get out of it. I think during COVID, I had a period of, of uh, half a year that I said, okay, I'm just going to shoot film. I'm just going to shoot Ilford HP5. It's all going to be black and white, and I, I can't use any other camera just to simplify my process and to simplify my thoughts about photography because I was so split up between, you know, you can watch too many YouTube videos and then want to do it all. You want to take color photos and you want to expose for the high 
highlights and you want to take black and white photos and you want to take widescreen, you know, Hasselblad expand pictures and, and you can't, you can't do it all and you can't evolve as a photographer if you constantly are comparing yourselves to other people. So, so I had to take the step with film to try to find my own voice and I'm doing the same thing now with this uh, Sony camera. I'm, I'm trying to do things like it was a film camera. I, I, I don't want to edit my pictures in a way that I couldn't do in a dark room. That's a great approach, actually. I like that train of thought. You want to present the image in its purest form, I guess, for lack of a better term. Great. I commend you on that, you know, on that way of presentation. You know, when you caught the bug and you were learning and learning more about photography, who or what resources were very influential to you? And what did you take away from them moving forward into your craft? Very early, I, I went to an exhibition here in Sweden with the works of Vivian Mayer and her approach to capture something that was totally candid and not even showing her pictures to anyone. You know, they found her pictures on an attic after she, she was dead. She did it all for herself. And I think that was very inspiring, but, but even more her pictures that had so, you know, clear subjects. And the same thing with uh, Cartier-Bresson. He really captured... Uh, uh, life in a, you know, decisive moment. Well, I mean, he is considered to some, I'm one of those fanboys that considers him to be the pioneer of street photography. Me too. To start your photographic career with him is hard because you see his pictures and then you go out and, and try to, you know, we try to copy, mimic what we see, especially when we're beginners. We try to, I'm going to take pictures like Bresson and, and, and I go out in Lund then I, I don't take pictures like him. There's <laughs> no one, you know, jumping over uh, water piles. And I did not have the technique and I did not know to compose pictures as effectful as he could. So then I, you know, uh, watched a lot of uh, YouTube uh, and found a couple of, of uh, great street photography teachers, you could say. And, and not just street photography, but, you know, you have, you have a Canadian friend called um, Asriel Knight. Oh yeah, he was. That was really inspirational. And I and I uh, early on, I did try to to build up an, uh, a dark room at home uh, and do street photography on film, and then develop the film into paper photos. Oh wow! So you really went into it. Yeah, I did. I really, I really fell in love, and the whole thing was totally new to me. And and you know, when I started, someone at a flea market, they had this whole kit of enlarger and and uh, all things needed for the darkroom so I well let's go for it so we had a spare uh, you know bathroom and I, I just built the darkroom in there I never got as far as the darkroom I had darkrooms when I went to higher education in my earlier years but at home I never had a darkroom I always brought my film in for development certainly early on and then later in life I started developing my film at home um, you know specifically black and white not color color I would just bring to the lab although I have done it but typically I would just bring color into the lab and still when I shoot color I will do that I will give some business to the local lab here to do it and the black 
and whites I'll do myself because, you know, I may want to use a specific kind of developer and the lab's only using D76, Kodak D76, which, you know, it, it's an okay every run, you know, it's an okay run of the mill sort of developer, but there are times that I want to use a certain sort of developer, maybe Rodinol, depending on what I want, right? Like if I want ultra fine, do I want some grit? Like what do I want in the tones? So I will experiment with different developers when it comes to black and white. When you started photography in 2016, how was your initial reaction to photography in the sense that when you were on the streets photographing, were you getting frustrated at times because maybe something wasn't going right, like whether it be camera-wise or composition-wise? I, I loved it. Uh, otherwise, I, I couldn't have continued. But but it was really, really frustrating. And, I, and it, it's been frustrating for a long time. I started with the digital camera and I was shy. So I, 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 I didn't get so close to my subjects. So, so the picture, if it's boring, you're not close enough. I had the Nikon 50 uh, on, the, on the camera, which is perfect for street. But if you're new to it and you're a bit shy... And and you're, you don't know what you're doing, then it's hard. But it was frustrating. And the first time I tried film was really frustrating because I thought, okay, I'm going to go out on the street with film and I'm going to make the most of it. So I took like eight portraits of people. I walked up to people and said, said I want to take your portrait. And I took really exciting pictures, portraits, uh, street portraits. And there was something wrong with the camera. It it hadn't, uh, you know, forwarded the film. So, so there was blank role. This is why I always say it's good to learn on film first. One of my daughters, she's kind of like my little photographer. The other one, she's not really interested in photography. My one daughter who is interested in photography, like she approached me one day and she's like, dad, you know, I want to, I want to take some pictures. I want to learn, you know, how to take pictures like you, she says. Right. And I said, okay, that's great. She's like, can I borrow one of your cameras? Because I have many cameras. And I said, you know what you should do? You should take this film camera and you should read up on film and you should learn it first before trying a digital I told her and so she did and at first she was like pulling her hair out she's like how the heck did you guys ever shoot on these things I'm like well if you can learn how to use that camera and understand the photographic triangle you can operate any digital camera with your eyes closed and she took the camera she went on photo walks with me she sometimes would go by herself with the film camera and you know same thing. First few rolls turned out like crap, but then she got the hang of it. She's like, oh, you know, if I put the f-stop here and I do this and I know I'll get this kind of a composition, I'll get this kind of bokeh, I'll get this kind of exposure. So by understanding how they all work together, how the triangle works, she could better utilize that knowledge. I bought her a Nikon, um, the, the Nikon D5600. That was her first camera. And she still has that camera around our house, uh, quite a few of the pictures that are on the wall are hers. You know, there's a lot of mine because I've been doing it since the 80s, but there's also now pictures of my daughter's work on our walls, which is very nice because, you know, it's always nice to see your own work hanging on your walls. And it's important as well to see it, to see work not on a computer screen, to see it as a physical thing. Just something magical about, you know, having your work on paper. 
When you were on the streets, you know, you mentioned, you know, you had some difficulties and you were shy. But if I look at your feed, you certainly have overcome that. And you're getting, I would say, better because there are images on your feed that, you know, I can see you've gone up to people, uh, you know, maybe not as much. Because so I would guess either, you know, if your work's not there in total, I don't know. But I would guess that you're getting better. And I, I would also assume that it's still hard for you, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I I struggle, you know, you got to warm up to get in the zone and you you need to be in the zone to be able to dare. Uh, But I I struggle with it every every time I go out, there's a a warm up period that I need to, you know, let go of all the things uh, from from the day and Mm -hmm. and to get in the zone. And when I'm in the zone, I can work up my courage and ask myself, what do you want to photograph? What what do you want to do? You know, when you're out there and you're warming up, how long does it take you to warm up? And when you are warmed up, do you feel a lot more comfortable or do you still have a bit of the, you know, the heebie-jeebies when you're approaching people? Yeah, of course. I would say it takes like 10, 15 minutes to warm up. Maybe, you know, 20, 30 shots of shit before my brain starts to work with my camera. And, and then I'll feel more comfortable, but the shyness uh, isn't gone. I'm, I'm, I'm not turning into Bruce Gilden. <laughs> His name always seems to come up. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. He's just the, ballsy, right? He just, you know, with a flash, no less. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, he'll yeah. go right up in your face, like, boom. Like, all of a sudden, yeah. like a pop-up jack-in-the-box. Yeah, very, very aggressive. Yeah. I'm, I'm more inspired of another ph- photographer, uh, and I'm losing his name right now, but his approach is to get as close as Bruce Gilden, but he pretends that he's playing around with his camera. He he, he looks confused, and, 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 and he, he looks like he d- don't know how to use the camera, uh, and people relax around him because I'm, he, he just looks like an old man uh, not knowing what he he's doing, but he's actually taking pictures, brilliant street photography pictures. I, I just can't uh, remember his name right now. Uh, American, American street photographer. What's one tip you could give our listeners that you've learned in your photographic journey? I think it may sound pretentious, but I think my, my, my tip is, is that the most important thing in your photography and any other cre- creative ruts is that you have to be yourself and you have to listen to your own inner voice, what you want to do and what what you want to discover or or explore don't look too much on other people's work you you need to look at other people's work in the beginning and you should look at other people's work because they take great photographs but don't try to copy anything else try to find your own voice and your own questions that say what interests me what do i want to see as a picture for me i think that's the most important thing after learning the craft. I know that I can take the picture that I want to take, then then those questions are the most important thing. What's my voice? Earlier you mentioned two very world-renowned street photographers, Bressant and Meyer. If you had to choose between the two to go on a photo walk, who would you choose? And when you're on that photo walk with that photographer, what would be one question you would want to ask them? Obviously, I would choose Henri Cartier-Bresson because 
he's such a rock star uh, on the street. If you see old films uh, on him, he he dances around the people that he's photographing. But at the same time, he's he's seemed to be really just that a rock star and a and a snob. It's like walking up to Bob Dylan trying to say something clever. I think I just wanted to observe him. I've see, seen a couple of interviews with him, and it's really you know they ask him why why don't you take photographs in color, and he he just. No. I think I would like to ask him about his mindset when he's in his zone. How do we cut everything else out of his system? How does he find the picture, basically? Yeah, he's, he's another breed. It's it, it, truly an artist coming from an art world uh, with this artistic mindset that makes me question myself. If he's an artist, I, I couldn't be an artist. I both adore him, and, and but he also makes me feel like I'm not an artist. So 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 he's, he's a bit too good. Yeah, I mean, he is definitely a mecca, I will admit. For sure, and I'm 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 truly a person that that questions myself, and that I'm you know I'm an actor as well, uh, and I I believe I'm a really good actor, but as a photographer, I still question myself a lot. Every every photo walk, at some point, I I just stand in a corner asking myself, "What are you doing?" Do you go by yourself when you walk, or do you like to go in groups of one and twos, or do you like bigger groups? And which one of those do you do, and which one do you prefer? Uh, I go by myself. Uh, I think I prefer it. I haven't been to uh, any larger photo walks. I think I would love that, to meet like-minded people and and go for a photo walk. But the only photo walk I've I've taken with other people is with uh, my friend who's who's supplying the microphone here. We did uh, visit uh, the south of France uh, this summer and we took long photo walks uh, in the old villages in the south of France. I really liked having a friend that's also in the zone trying to capture things. But usually I go by myself. Would you say that when you were with your friend, would you say that you learned from one another? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he takes pictures in another way. He sees other things that inspires me to uh, look around the corner and, and, and also see things. And I think he discovers other perspectives when he sees what I'm looking at. I noticed on your Instagram feed that you are predominantly a black and white shooter. If any of our listeners were to go to check out your feed, they would see that. You are predominantly a black and white guy. Is that mostly because of the influence that, you know, your idols had on you? Or is that just because you believe, even from before discovering artists like Meyer and Bresson, that you believed black and white was always the better option for you? I think I come from a cultural background, you know, in Swedish culture, we have the old films from, you know, Ingmar Bergman. I think I've always seen black and white as something timeless and something that's out of out of this world. The transformation from real life and color to black and white is somewhat magical. Uh, that appealed to me. Even before I started with photography, black and white was was uh, was special to me. With that said, I, I love uh, I love color and I love some pictures from, you know, Soul Lighter or William Eggles or Ernst Haas, Fred Herzog is unbelievably exciting. You know, you haven't been photographing very long. No. You're still learning, obviously. You're still evolving as a photographer. You're still honing your craft. 
What's perhaps now in your mind, what defines a picture worth showing? For me right now, that is something that I try to be very clear about. When I go out now, a good picture is something that has a clear subject, clear narrative with the sub subject coming from something and going to something. And, and right now, you know, with this gray weather, I, uh, I take a lot of pictures with a very open uh, aperture. So I get a clear separation between the, the subject and the background. And for me right now, it's pretty, what do you call it? Surgical. It's, it's, it's like I try to keep it as re the picture as, as readable as possible to learn to be able to uh, get the pictures across. Uh, not for Instagram, uh, but for a viewer that sees the picture in a larger scale. I, th I think Instagram and other social medias, they're, they're, it's complicated, but I think it's a danger for us for photographers to make pictures and then put them on Instagram and then people will look at them for two seconds and, and scroll on. That's not the audience I want to have. What do you think are some cliches in street photography that you yourself try to steer away from? You know, people walking, the whole exposed for highlights thing. I mean, I speak for myself now, and I, I mean, there are beautiful examples of pictures when the, you expose for the highlights and the shadows are pitch black and people are emerging from the darkness into the sunbeam, but they are cliches, and I, I, I try not to do it anymore. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, and I, I watch these YouTubers that are exceptional at it. You know, light is extremely important, but I think we've seen too many of that type of, of visual shots that don't have a don't have a story. It's interesting you say that because to some extent when I see those kind of pictures, you know what I think? The word that comes to my mind is regurgitation. Okay. What does that mean? Regurgitation means basically it's repetitive, right? It's the same thing yeah. over and over again. And yes. it seems almost like to what you were saying earlier in our discussion about copying and being unique. I think a lot of photographers, you know, I'm not blasting everybody. I'm not, but I'm just being honest about what I see on the feeds and so forth. A lot of photographers, they do kind of try to replicate other images. And I feel like right now that is something that I feel a lot of photographers are trying to to regurgitate they're trying to copy or they're trying to emulate whatever word you want to use i get it you know you want to try to create that image and you want to see if you can do it it's a challenge whatever whatever the reasons for doing it but i think though that what's really important is that the individual should really take stock of what they want to show what they want to present and try to make the image truly theirs. It's okay to get inspiration, no doubt. But like you Absolutely. said, don't try to copy. Try to make it your own. Yeah. Try to tell a story. I mean, that's a common question that I think a lot of photographers get. But it's still a valid question. You know, what's a what's a good picture for you? What are you trying to do in your shots? Obviously, you know, people will say, I'm a light chaser. Some people will say, I'm a storyteller. Some people don't even identify as a photographer, you know, at all. They're just like, I'm just a person that records time you know that's that's to be respected you know if i get asked that question i'm like well for me does it tell the story and does it captivate me and i put 
other things like light aside and technicalities aside, like, you know, is the picture technically perfect, right? Is it in focus? Like to me, that doesn't matter because I've seen images that are shot on cheap cameras, out of focus, foggy, whatever, but yet they are still powerful enough to grab you because there is a story. Exactly. And, and and if you think of pictures that you remember, it's it's just that. It, it's not the picture of the exposed for your highlights. It's, it's a picture with a clear subject, with, with a narrative of some kind. Kind of like, I mean, you're an actor, so you can appreciate this, uh, very much like a script. When you're reading a script for a role or a movie or a play, it's a narrative. It's a story. That's what makes a great movie. That's what makes a great play. It's the story. It's the plot. Exactly. That comes first. And then you combine that with a good pho- photograph or a good photographer for a film. And then, then, then you have a, a masterpiece. I'm looking at a picture that you posted on your Instagram feed, December 4th. It's a picture of an individual, uh, a male, it looks like a male, walking down an icy sidewalk and there's some cars coming towards your lens and obviously you can see the car lights lighting up the background of the photo. I like the long row of trees and this fellow's walking and then I see some people in the distance having a conversation walking towards him and you, some people off to the right getting in or out of a car you know it looks like it's snowing it looks like something's unfolding i don't know it looks very interesting and just curious if you could talk about that image and you know where were you what time of the night was it what were you shooting with why did you take the picture can you talk a little bit about that image for me and the listeners Sure, absolutely. The sad thing is that this is not at night. This is how dark it is at four (laughs) o'clock. In Sweden, this is outside my work. So on the left side, we have the university. I was walking towards my car and and I saw this figure that was walking right in front of me. And the cars coming, you know, they gave the people further back some some kind of glow and was suggesting some kind of mystical thing. So I, so I I, I I just grabbed the camera from my bag and and tried to capture the the figure in front of me in in some kind of relation with with the people coming and the car behind uh, behind them. And it, it, it was snowing. It was. Uh, the first snow on this year. It wasn't that my much thought into it. I, I just saw something, you know, that little voice in your head that says, "Here's something." And I, I always, always uh, like those trees. There's a long row, like a you know, hundred meters of the same trees in a line. The trees definitely make the image what it is, I think. And then you've got the lights and you've got, like I said, you've got the people. Three subjects, really, when you think about it, all doing something. You know, maybe a fellow walking home, people going on a date, who knows. And then you've got the people at the car. Maybe they're coming, they're going. What are they doing? So it's kind of like you've got three stories and plus the scenery. It just tells a very nice narrative. So I thought I'd bring that one up and maybe just pick your brain a little bit. And you were using what camera on this image? Uh, this is the Sony A7R4. Yeah. So it, it, it's good for, uh, you know, the, the ISO on the camera is, is great. So Magnus, if people wanted to see your work, where can they go and check you out online? They could visit my Instagram page, uh, which is Photo with a K and P and H, uh, sorry, uh, F instead of the P and H on photo, Photo, Or visit my webpage, which is corpult.myportfolio.com. 
And I'll also include those in the show notes below so our listeners can go ahead and click on the links to get to your work easily. Thank you. Magnus, thank you so much for being on the Street Photography Show podcast. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. I enjoyed talking to you about your work and getting to know you a little bit more. Keep doing what you're doing. Phenomenal work. Listeners, go check them out. The links are in the show notes below. Thank you very much, Magnus. Thank you. A pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to follow and highly rate the show as it allows me to continue creating more content for you, my awesome listeners. Also, don't forget to join us next week as new episodes are added on Fridays. Until next time, keep walking and keep clicking. This is Mark Rossi. Bye for now.